Welcome to the discussion, the IT modernization impact on the workforce, sponsored by ICF. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, empowering the federal workforce, preparing teams to harness data and new technologies, sponsored by ICF International on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests are David Shive, Chief Information Officer at the General Services Administration, Akanksha Sharma, the Director of Digital Transformation at the Labor Department, and David Birkin, the Senior Vice President for Public Sector Transformation and Professional Services at ICF International. In the last segment, we talked a lot about IT modernization and where each of you are at, what you're seeing from trends perspective. And, and I think everyone's kind of mentioned the idea that IT modernization, you don't do IT modernization for the sake of IT modernization, something I think David, Shive, and I have been talking about for a, a couple of years now. Uh, but let's jump into the why IT modernization is, is having a bigger uh, impact than ever before. Uh, I think it's really about making the workforce better, more effective, make their jobs easier, less mundane, driving more toward high value work. David Shai from GSA, start off. How are you starting to see that? What are some of those ways that that's happening at GSA? Great. Thanks, Jason. So I'll start with this. You know, first, as a government, we have an obligation to develop human capital strategies that ensures our workforce has the skills and capabilities to support not only today's business, but tomorrow's business tech and the organizational requirements. You know, as we adopt new technologies here at GSA, we're looking to do a few things. One, we actually train our employees, not just our tech employees in agile and DevSecOps and other digital infrastructure delivery and use technologies uh, and processes. This helps our users to understand the nexus between tech and modern business practice. And we're also improving and also helps us uh, improve our delivery methods for delivering new and modern tech. You know, we see tech as uh, an enabler, a force multiplier here at GSA, and a way to optimize government by improving how the workforce does their job. It's, um, it's a world that we live in that's getting more digital and are relying on online services. And we are, just like conscious said earlier, making sure that our tech is working for people, not for tech's sake. You know, one of the things we don't want to do is limit our modernization and process improvement to a top-down process. If we see employees are performing mundane, repetitive tasks um, and they have ideas how to improve those processes, we want to hear about it. So one of the things we do is we ask people, what do you think would improve your process? And we drive that into how we refactor, refactor our technology, our business process. We do things called great ideas hunts because we recognize that technologists are really good at uh, developing and delivering new things. The people doing the work, they generate the highest quality uh, and quantity of uh, great ideas for us to actually build around. And if, as long as we keep our focus on doing that technology to help make people's jobs easier, make their lives easier, it's going to be a better, more effective government. Yeah, I agree with David. Um, you know, I really do strongly believe that people are the biggest asset of any organization because without the right people who are motivated to do their jobs, you will really not be able to accomplish any of your goals or objectives. So especially when you're considering things that are transformational, uh, that introduce new ways of working, 
the workforce has to be very central to that. And we know there's a lot of variance within the federal workforce, right? We know that we're struggling hiring the younger generation, and we have a population that's becoming very close to retirement right now. So there are a lot of different factors here at play that require a workforce engagement strategy that's nuanced and not one size fits all. Uh, at the Department of Labor, there's a couple different ways that we are trying to address this. So we have you know, emerging tech incubation type programs where we encourage details from other parts of the organization so that we can teach people and show them that technology is not something that's scary. You know, AI or RPA or all of these buzzwords are is not scary. Like there's the science behind it. It's code. We can teach it to you. There are learning paths to understand this so that you're more comfortable using it for your day-to-day -day jobs. Um, so we've been building on this sort of detail program within the OCIO team itself as well to just encourage people to think outside of the box and take on jobs, even for short periods of time that may be very different than what they've been doing for 10, 15, 20, or even, you know, six months. The other big cultural shift has been to make sure that we are recognizing employees for when they do go above and beyond or try to do something different, regardless of what the outcome may be. So making sure that there's the right recognition um, and then also training channels so that they can pick up new skill sets. That's been very helpful in terms of also bringing the different cultures of DOL together, because as I mentioned earlier, we have, we're such a big agency um, and we're not, you know, even just one agency, we are made up of 27 agencies and then we've got field offices. So having some of these foundational, educational recognition and then opportunities for people to test out new skill sets, it's really important to have some of those channels so we can start to come together on things and not be super siloed. Yeah, I'll just jump in on two thoughts that, it kind of struck me as you were, you were articulating what's happening at DOL. You know, I think one is those communication channels, right? So, I mean, I'm sure everyone's seen there's a change management playbook and you do these things and you do them in this order and that sets the stage. And that, that, that's kind of the easy part of change management, right? The hard part is what you just described, right? Which is setting up a culture where safe failure is okay, right? Because that has the potential to unlock just some unbelievable ideas that you know we never would have thought of or senior leadership wouldn't thought of. Um, now, I think the other thing, and I think David, you you pulled on this too, is um, if IT modernization or digitalization, you know, is this now continuous evolving process? Um, that's going to be the case for the workforce, right? So not just for the workforce today, but your future workforce, right? And so you know. The more we can pull in those data, the more we have those open lines of communication, you know, to us, that's where we've just seen huge leap forwards, right? And I, the, some of the things that I always find fascinating is, you know, we do a few projects where, you know, we're in there, we're modernizing a system, it's very technical, we're building the case around it. Um, and as we're going along, we're picking up all these, you know, we call them opportunity nuggets, right? Like, hey, we had a multidisciplinary team attack this process, person from human resources actually had an idea that may totally change how you want to do procurement, right? And 
that type of cross-pollinization, that's to me what's really fun about IT modernization is you get a bunch of folks working on something that's non-traditional for them. And these ideas, they just come out, right? And they yeah. the potential to create so much more capacity for folks is it's pretty cool. Right. Yeah, we find that um, it's so very important to start that work early in the process. Um, you know, we, we have something called a failed success, and that's when you do a transformation, but it has minimal impact on the user community you're trying to serve. It may be may have been delivered on time, under budget, but uptake from the users is low. And every time we we've experienced that, we can draw it back to poor organizational change management practice. And it's really, it's not rocket science. Um, the good use of organizational change management, uh, it's a codified business, been around forever. We've found you have to have people that are expert in that to help drive the process, but they can't be the only ones um, because sometimes you um, uh, come up against a brick wall of people who don't want change. We found here in the federal government that unsurprisingly, we look and feel just like the people we serve. When you survey the citizens of the United States, you're going to get a million different opinions. It's the same way here in the federal workforce. And having a one-size-fits-all model to help them do a thing differently, to generate better outcomes, just doesn't work. You know, you have to pay attention to usability. Make sure the things you're delivering are easy to use. They're, they're heuristic. They you know, contain the least number of clicks and that they contain feedback from people and stuff like that. But that feedback piece is really, really in, uh, important. So what we've um, kind of settled on as our winning strategy is be iterative in how you communicate to people, uh, be open and willing to listen to their feedback, um, make sure that we are delivering things in very small manageable chunks instead of long processes, you know, use um, Agile, of course, and DevSecOps, but use um, incremental funding to support that work, um, generate common, frequent feedback loops and demonstrate to the people that you're delivering to, that you're listening to them, uh, not just do it, but actually demonstrate that they're doing it and be willing to pivot course along the way in response to that feedback as you, uh, as you do it. It's amazing when you show a willingness to listen to the people that you're serving, how that increases the quality and oftentimes the velocity of what you're delivering. Yeah, I think the other thing I just throw on there is also, and I think you probably capture this as you're doing this, is knowing when you've hit a change fatigue section, right, of something. So, you know, whatever, whatever it was planned or unplanned, doing that type of change, just it was hard, right? And so knowing like this is where we insert a gap to let the workforce catch up. Right. And we pick yeah. something else. And I think that's often what we see now is, is missing. It's a huge energy to implement new things and to get people to change and get them to sustain a new way of doing their work, even if it's better. Right. And, and building in some of those breaks can sometimes be hard. Right. When the, when the mantra is modernize, modernize, modernize. Right. But it, you know, it's important. It's really important. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things Dave that we found uh, that I found personally, um, as an executive, my willingness to change, my, de my desire to see positive change is greater than the organization's ability to sustain change well. Um, you can force change on an organization and break it um, if you're not sensitive to things like change fatigue and things like that. 
I want to go back to something that Kongsha said regarding uh, creating kind of the sandbox or creating the ability to test out uh, technology incubation programs. Has has that helped bring that workforce forward? Seeing that oh, this RPA thing is you know we as we've heard over the last you know five or so years not going to take my job even though you know no many times you or Dave Shive or, or Dave Birkin says it people until they see it they have to understand it. How has that helped really? address that workforce or, or the culture change management challenges? I do think it's helped. I also think we still have a long ways to go on that journey. One of the things that I found really interesting that when I spoke to the people who participated within the sandbox environments is how many of them were already kind of experimenting with this, but on their own using tools that IT was not really aware of or that they were not aware of what they were, you know, doing. So it, it was interesting to find that even in the organizations where from our perspective, there was a lot of resistance, there is still experimentation going on to some degree. So one thing that these kind of sandboxes allow you to do is to have that conversation more openly and say, well, why don't we help each other here? Because this is really not about some, you know, we're not trying to affect a negative outcome here. In fact, what we want to do is allow you to work on better, more high priority projects um, and not have to do mundane things that, you know, some basic um, scripting through a bot could handle. So it definitely helps. In fact, we've had some people who participated and then ended up joining the emerging technology team permanently because they were so interested by this world that are now going through the process of getting their bot certification. Uh, so that part is really exciting. And I think we re as leaders really need to emphasize those successes that we do have because we have a long way to go still in terms of institutionalizing and operationalizing this way of thinking. And there are genuine challenges and concerns around, you know, some emerging technologies like AI that need to be addressed in a way that makes sense. David Shab, the other piece of this, I think, you, and you brought up something very similar, this idea of, of uh, understanding where potential failure could happen, understanding uh, potentially what the user is asking for. Uh, well, you know, maybe you haven't set up a sandbox in the same way, but is there things you're doing to get informed from the user. You talked about pay attention usability, feedback from the people, uh, the iterative development, listen to the feedback. How are you going about that approach? Yeah, so, um, so at GSA, we have a dual mission. So as CIO, I'm responsible for delivering technology that supports all the users of GSA systems and stuff. We also provide um, service and product out to the federal enterprise. That's, they're our customers. Um, and that part of the business has a long history of, you know, being able to assess customer satisfaction, customer um, use, um, uh, and they have traditional business measures that are ubiquitous out in the uh, private sector, like NPS, you know, not just assessing is somebody satisfied what, uh, with what you're doing, but would they actually promote you to somebody else? Would they say you go buy them? We've actually turned that on the inside of GSA as well. Um, we have a broad business portfolio here at GSA, 
Um, I interact with them uh, in the same exact ways that the commercial world interacts with their customer populations. I have my finger on the pulse of what they do when they not only, uh, you know, year every six months, we say, how do you feel about the systems that you're using? How satisfied are you with you? How much does it um, promote effective business and stuff like that? But we do transactional queries so that when people are done doing a particular thing, um, we say, uh, what did you think about that across a broad portfolio of our systems? And then, you know, I ask them very different questions than what a lot of techies do. You know, I measure uptime and things like that on our systems. That's that's great. Those are important IT measures. But the conversations I have with the businesses now are all business measures. Um, when you consume our service or use our product, uh, is your business enabled? Where can we demonstrate where we have done a thing, worked together to deliver a thing? Where can we demonstrate better business outcomes? That's increasingly how I measure myself. That's increasingly how I measure my technologists, my executives. And we roll all of that into a plan on continuing to deliver, iterating away from the places that aren't showing value and uh, pivoting towards the things that do. I think David actually hit on what, what we're seeing as potentially kind of the next frontier for kind of uncapitalized space is all that capacity creation you're doing for the workforce, right? That has to be recaptured and redirected, right? Because if you create opportunity and time for somebody, they'll fill it, whether you want yeah. them to fill it with what you want, right? Versus what or the organization wants. And I think, you know, in the last year or so, what we've been seeing a lot of our projects, whether it's, you know, we have techniques like everybody else, whether it's a digital service center or so on and so forth, is actually being able to quantify that data of, hey, we've created a little bit of opening for these this workforce, right? Or these particular types of folks who are interacting with this system, how do we want to redirect that, right? How do we make sure it stays aligned to the mission? Um, and, you know, I, I think that's still in the opening days of figuring that out. I think some of our metrics are still pretty rudimentary, but it's accelerating fast and it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and very specifically to that, one of the things that we found out is um, that out in our business units, there is actually untapped, really excellent capacity in the IT delivery space. So you look at the 21st century knowledge workers coming into government, many of them have like MIS degrees or um, pretty deep technological um, capability and experience and stuff. And we're finding, you know, historically, I would pull all those people into the IT shop because we run an IT consolidated shop. That's not the most effective way to do things. We've found all this unused um, capacity out in the businesses and we're putting lightweight control frameworks around them so they, they can work effectively for the business doing technology things, but making sure that control environment uh, is, wraps around them so they do smart cyber, good privacy, you know, good tech delivery and stuff. That's a perfect example kind of, kind of unmet capacity that we've been able to tease out of the team. And I think when you look at low code, no code platforms and the like, I think that's what you meant by lightweight control frameworks. They they already have some of those skill sets built in based on just they grew up with it. You know, we I was I hate the term digital natives, Dave, because it forgets that you and I grew up with our Commodore 64s. But, uh, uh, you know, I never coded anything. So I'll go there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back. We will continue this conversation. My guests there, David Shive, the CIO at GSA. Akanksha Sharma, the Director of Digital Transformation at the Labor Department. 
and David Birkin, the Senior Vice President for Public Sector Transformation and Professional Services at ICF International. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to the discussion, Empowering the Federal Workforce, Preparing Teams to Harness Data and New Technologies, sponsored by ICF International on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the discussion, The IT Modernization Impact on the Workforce, sponsored by ICF on Federal News Network. 